First and foremost, I want everybody to take a deep breath and relax, okay? I feel like my eyes sticking to one side of my brain and shit. You know what I mean? Go to bed, Okay, my name is Taylor Dunn. Y'all keep it going. You are now listening to the Mac Daddy Seminar, motherfucker. <laughs> What's cracking, everybody? What's going on? And welcome to a brand new episode of the Mac Daddy Seminar. As always, I am your host, Taylor Dunn, and today we have another guest. Yeah, that's becoming a reoccurring thing lately. I've been having guests on, and I'm really enjoying all the conversations I'm having with so many different people. But today, I was so excited to get in contact with this guy. He is a San Diego legendary comic. He'll probably disagree with me when he listens to this. However, he's a legend in my book. He's known wide around town, all throughout the state of California. He is a nationally touring comedian, guys. Okay, for those of you that don't know who I'm talking about, he can be seen on Dry Bar Comedy, Laughs on Fox, heard on Sirius XM. He has his own podcast called This Week in Zoltan. Go check that out on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. He is the winner of both the Seattle International Comedy Competition and the San Diego Comedy Festival. He also has a special on YouTube right now for free called Modern Mail. It just hit a million views. You do not want to miss this thing. My whole family sat down and listened to it, and we laughed hysterically the entire time. Please give it up for my guest, Zoltan Cassis. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for sitting down with me. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, just enjoying. I'm glad the heat wave's kind of over. That's what I'm into. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got up this morning, and I finally saw like that marine layer, and I was like, okay, thank God, because it's been, it feels like 9,000 degrees every morning when we wake up. Yeah, what, what part of San Diego do you live in? I live down on the Strand, um, like at the lower part of uh, Coronado. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you got. hopefully you have that breeze coming in. I, I'm in normal heights, a little more inland. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's been humid as all hell. It's been horrible, but today it feels good. Yeah. I, uh, I went up to Miramar, which I don't drive around a whole lot just because, you know, I'm in the military, so I'm working most days of the week. But yeah. uh, I went up to Miramar like two weeks ago to do uh, a podcast and it was like 105 degrees up there and just the temperature change from there to here was outrageous it's a big jump it's definitely a huge jump where are you from i'm sorry to turn this podcast into me asking no no no, that's we've never talked before where are you where are you from uh i'm from alabama originally cool yeah i uh just about everybody that's ever listened to this is a personal friend of mine but uh, I'm originally from Alabama. Um, I started doing stand up there when I was 18. Cool. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to come out to California. Didn't really work out that way whenever I graduated, you know, just kind of hopped around different jobs. And then I joined the military as a means to get out of the South. And then Absolutely. my, f- yeah, my first uh, duty station was in Gulfport, Mississippi. <laughs> 
So I stayed there for five years and did little open mics here and there. I was just about to ask, how hot is the stand-up scene in in Gulfport, Mississippi? You know, they have a little uh, stand-up community. It's mostly dive bars and, like, Tuesday nights, like, you know, some friend of theirs who's a bartender is like, yeah, you can come up and do it at 10 o'clock. And then, you know, once you get in there, there's, like, four people that are willing to listen. And, you know, it's mostly just people going up and winging it but you know they do what they can there's a little bit more of a uh, community in Hattiesburg which is about an hour from Gulfport and uh, they have a couple of stages and you know they have a bigger community up there it's a college town so it works out pretty nice man that's so cool I uh, back when traveling was still illegal uh, I would always be surprised anytime I performed in a small town and to find out that they have a comedy scene too every place has a scene yeah, like that first. I, I've heard of Hattiesburg before, but the uh, Gulfport or the first thing you said, I was like, I've never heard of that place before in my life. And sure enough, they even have like a couple places to go up because that that wasn't like that years ago. Years ago, I mean, you'd hear podcast stories from like comics that are thirty years in, twenty years in, and then back in the nineties, even in the early two thousands, if you weren't in somewhat of a you know major city you weren't getting to start stand up there wasn't even a bar with a stage that would let you go up there and talk so it's actually pretty cool that you were able to do it while you were while you were out there on base yeah most of i really when i started when i was 18 i started right after i got out of high school and mm-hmm. you know as soon as i started i i loved it but it was an like two hours away from where i lived it was in birmingham alabama was the yeah. club that i started at it's the stardom comedy club yeah, I've never and played there, but I've definitely heard that club. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of the only clubs in Alabama. There's that, yeah. one, and they just built a stand-up live in Huntsville, which I've never been to. Right, yeah, I've heard of that one too. Isn't Stardome like huge? How many does that thing seat? Uh, Their main room seats 350, maybe 400. Okay, so it's like the size of an improv or something. Right. And, uh, you know, they had their little side rooms for open mic and stuff like that. That's where, that's where I started was the open mic rooms. But what was cool about it was if you can't, they did a competition-based open mic. Uh-huh. So, like, once a month, they'd have an open mic, and you would come up, do five minutes, and it was all clean material. You had, I mean, this is the Bible Belt. So, right. you know, you had to prepare, you know, a clean set that you could do on television. It didn't have to be squeaky clean. But, you know, you would want it to be available so that, you know, somebody between the ages of 15 to 18 could listen to it. A family audience. Yeah. And uh, I went up there for the first time when I was 18 years old. Nervous as all get out. And I had done theater in high school. Yeah. But I always wanted to, you know, try stand up. And I went up there. I took my mom and my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And they had no idea what I was going to do. Right. So they're sitting in the audience and they're thinking like, you know, they're really nervous for me. And I just got up and I did my five minutes. I pretty much did it like a comedic monologue. Like I had it all like memorized. Every word. Every every word. word, Yeah. Every movement. Cause that's something (laughs) that I learned in theater and I ended up winning that night. Oh, nice. Your first night up. Congrats, man. That's huge. 
first night ended up winning and of course my head was that big yeah you know well because i'm walking around like everybody's thinking i'm going to be the next dave Chappelle or something because you know i succeeded at this open mic and at the time i thought like this is it for me i'm going to have a a comedy special in a year right <laughs> but you know yeah. i'm walking around with my nose up my chest all poked out and yeah i did a couple of open mic shows but the whole prize that you won by winning that open mic in the small stage which sat about 50 people in that room you got to go on the big stage oh awesome for like this annual contest and you know it was like you know 350 400 people that night i mean it was packed oh, because wow. all of the winners from the consecutive months it was a big annual contest so right. if you won your month you got to come back and then they had 12 people to do a five minute set gotcha and uh, everybody's family is coming out to watch right them. So, so it was packed it's yeah. packed and i went out there and i did it and i ended up finishing third place the uh the winner that night um his name was ambrose jones he actually went on to be on uh last comic standing oh cool how yeah. long ago was this? When did you? St when was eighteen for you? Uh, two thousand twelve. Oh, okay, nice. So I'm doing the math. So you're twenty, twenty four, twenty six, twenty six. I'm good. I'm good with numbers. Yeah, Yay, that's that's awesome. I think that's cool that they have, uh, like the San Diego scene's grown a lot. I started in two thousand six, so the San Diego scene has grown so much since the time I started. But there's no regulation not that there should be i guess but i think it's a good idea like there's a couple cities i've been to like i remember oklahoma city they have their open mic at looney at the looney bin and there was rules and they wanted you to keep it on the cleaner side and and some comics might gripe about that they're like i, I want to say what i want i want to be like jim jeffries up there and i'm like i totally get that but you can go do that at the bar open mic they're just asking you to do this at the comedy club because there's a lot of comics that come in and if you end up opening for them, like, hey, can you not be filthy? Because I have a special on Dry Bar and the people that bought tickets to this kind of want clean comedy. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so yeah, that's cool that you came up in a scene that had, a, had kind of like a regulation to it. And I like the monthly contest thing. And then with the year end blow off, that's a really cool idea. Yeah, they stopped doing it since then. It's a pretty big bummer because, you know, I I did that show when I was 18 and I just, I don't know what happened. I just, I was like, oh, I'm going to take a break through the holidays. And then the holidays turned into three months and then four yeah. months. And then, you know, I started working at a radio station and I was like, okay, well, I can get back into it. And now I can use the radio station to kind of plug my stuff. Like that was the whole idea. And the thing that I was missing was I just wasn't going to do stand up. Right. Long story short, I ended up joining the Navy and I pretty much kind of just gave up on it after a while. So it was like a good three, three and a half years that I didn't know stand up. And then okay. just out of the blue, after my first deployment, my daughter's about to be born. My mother-in-law pulled up a video from that performance. Yeah. And, uh, it was like something went off in my head. I was like, what happened to me? Like, yeah. Why did I, I stop doing that? Why yeah. did I stop doing that? Like, I, yeah. I was like this, I have the perfect opportunity to do it so many places now because you know, the military will move you around. Of course. So I started, you know, trying to write again and it's so hard. Like once you've stopped 
to grind all that rust off like oh yeah it's not like riding a bike yeah that's for sure especially if if you hadn't been doing it that long before you stopped like this pandemic was the longest break i had taken and i think it was two months before i went on a stage again and i had never taken a two-month break since i started back in 06 so yeah i was terrified and there was definitely some rust there i was able to get through the set but you know yeah, it's it's a big. It's not riding a bike at all. It's your timings off. Everything is so important. It's like working out. It's like running, or it's like, hey, you want to be the best of push-ups. You got to go do push-ups every day. Right. And yeah, you take a long break and and you try to go do push-ups again. You're like, holy crap, I can't do any. And yeah, yeah, that is three years off, and then back yeah. on stage. Where'd you get back up here in town? Uh, well. I was still in Gulfport at the time and Mm. I pretty much would just go back to that club. Like I would go home on leave and visit family. And then, you know, I'd always set up like, Oh, I'm going to go back and do the open mic competition. Yeah. But I kind of lost the edge that I had because what helped me before was, Oh, it's his first time. He's only 18 years old. Right. So that kind of helped my cause. Right. Now I'm 23. Yeah. so So now you're as old as everybody else there. Yeah, so I kind of had to bring a little bit more heat, and I just, you know, without the experience and being able to do it so much, I kind of lost the edge, which it was fine. I I enjoy just going to do the shows, and, you know, that's what I get out of it. So uh, from doing that maybe once every six months to, you know, occasionally doing open mics here and there at bars in Mississippi, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity. I'd I'd be lucky to get up maybe once a month once every two months wow but i was always just you know like i gotta write my next set i gotta write my next set so when it came time to pick orders i just i was like california yeah that's where i want to go and i put in orders and i ended up getting san diego and i was like this is great i was super excited and I know I'm making this a lot about me, but since we've never spoke before, I want to give you a little background. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm interested to hear. Yeah. So, you know, whenever it was time to leave Gulfport, you know, I was just, I actually came out here with a buddy a couple of months before just to kind of scope out houses and get a lay of the land because I've never lived anywhere outside of the South other than deployments. Okay. And when I got out here, it was just like, you know, I felt like I was walking around in a movie set. Like I was so <laughs> excited. We went to the comedy store in LA. We, oh, yeah. uh, we went up there and we didn't even have tickets. Right. We just, we went to an angels game in Anaheim. Yeah. And then afterwards we drove to the comedy store. We didn't have tickets. And all I wanted to do was just go see the building. Yeah. You know, cause I had listened to so many stories and, you know, watch so many things about it on TV and in different podcasts and things like like that's the the holy ground for me. Right. And I remember I went up to one of the bouncers and I was like, hey, you know, we just drove all the way from Mississippi just to come see this building. Would it be okay if we just came inside just to take a picture? Not just to take a picture, excuse me, to go get a t-shirt. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So there's this huge line out front right there on Sunset. And they let us in and in front of the line to go in and buy a t-shirt. And everybody's looking because they think like Leonardo DiCaprio or something just walked. Yeah, they're like, why, why does this person get to cut us? Right. Yeah. 
And I was just so excited and so happy because I was like, finally, you know, I'm here. And I've gone back since then and actually got to go in. Like I saw Joe Rogan there and, you know, I've met a bunch of like my heroes growing up from going up there. And, you know, I, it's such a special place. I'm so happy that there's one here in San Diego too. Yeah. 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 Ours is the the little sister of it, but, uh, but yeah, the one in Hollywood definitely holds a lot of weight to it. A lot of history. And then of course all the big names that, you know, are just hanging out in the hall waiting to go on stage. Yeah. It's yep, definitely yep. a moment. But when I got here, when I finally moved out here last September, the very first thing I did, I got in the Comedy Palace uh, mm -hmm. class. Oh, okay. I, I researched it before I came out here, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just get in the class just to, you know, because I was, to be honest with you, I was, it seemed kind of like, uh, I'm thinking of the right word, almost like everybody out here, I kind of put everybody on a pedestal. Like this is California. This is going to be different. So <laughs> no, everyone sucks all the same. <laughs> no matter where you go, everyone sucks all the same. Not to cut you off, but I went to New York for the first time in October and I got a couple spots and I was nervous as hell for each one. And here I am, I've been doing comedy over what, 12, 14 years, a oh, long time. And I'm over there pacing the New York comedy club going, no, this is New York. This is where everyone, and I was on later in the show and I was in the, I was watching the whole show. And after like the third comic, I'm like, oh yeah, we all suck. No one's that magical. It's not like I'm going on after like Jim Gaffigan or somebody. It's just other people like me. And so that definitely calmed me down. But yeah, whether you're doing an open mic in, in Hattiesburg or, or Point Golf or whatever that other place was, or San Diego, it's all, we all suck. You know, it's an open mic. So we're all just trying to get good at this thing called stand-up. And that's like a really important thing to remember as you travel around. It's just, it's a new stage. It's a new group of comics. And you're like, ooh, am I supposed to be here? Yeah. We all suck. We're just trying to get some laughs. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I took the class. I really enjoyed it. I learned from uh, Jesse Egan. Oh, Jesse's and, one of the best. I love I love Egan. He's one of my favorite people. Uh, Gordon Downs also taught yeah, class. Yeah, Gordon a long time, yeah. And uh, I loved it. I had such a good time, and I networked with everybody. And we're still, to this day, we still keep up, keep up with each other on, uh, you know, email and stuff like that but i just hit the ground running like i just made it a point like you know hey i'm gonna go to the open mics this night this night this night and i would just tell my wife like a week in advance like hey monday i'm going here tuesday i'm going here wednesday i'm going here and that's the way i did it right um so then new year's happened in 2020 yeah. and i was like this is gonna be the year like my my main goal for this year was I just want to improve. I want to get to where I can do 15, 20-minute sets. Really, my main goal was I just want to get to a point to where I can open for someone. Right. That was my goal. And, you know, I was I was burning it up. Like, I was having a great time, and I performed at the Comedy Store open mic for the first time, which that was a huge moment for me. Like, yeah. you know, you hear about Robin Williams and – you know, Jim Carrey and Richard Pryor, these people that have stood on this stage. So when you're finally up there for the first time, I'm like, you know, and even yeah, if it's yeah, just yeah. A, a three minute spot, you know, that's what's going on in your head. Such a short amount of time to get comfortable. Yeah, it's, absolutely. And, you know, I pretty much kept that up through March. 
Yeah, and then, they, and then the world ended. Yeah. <laughs> I went to... I'm glad you got to move here in September to where at least you get to, you know, get your bearings of the, the scene and, and do some stuff before it all came, you know, crashing down six months later. But yeah, I was, I thought you were about to tell me, yeah, I moved out here in February and then everything <laughs> ended in March. So I'm glad you at least got out here in September. But yeah, I mean, this, everyone's year got flipped on its head and we're just calling it a wash, you know? Absolutely. So enough about me now that I've kind of given you a little bit of my background. Um, one of the main things that I wanted to do was ask you a couple of questions. So, sure. Um, so with you, how did you get into stand up? I, I got in, I started in 2006 at a place that's no longer open called the comedy co-op. Uh, back then there was only uh, the comedy store and the Comedy Palace, but I don't think the Palace was doing open mics. They were just doing a couple weekend shows. And then they had Lestats and then the Comedy Co-op. And so I went to the Comedy Co-op. I was 19. And that's where I got my start. Um, I started in comedy because I wanted to be a pro wrestler. And because uh, I grew up in the trailer park and those guys are our heroes. Me so, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be the rock or whatever. And uh, I was supposed to have surgery on my shoulder because I got a bad shoulder. Both of them are trash, actually. And I was like, well, I need something to do while I'm going to be in a sling for six months because I can't work out. I can't do anything. So I was like, well, I'm going to go do open mics. I've always loved stand up. Um, and yeah, I went and signed up for an open mic. It, I bombed in front of my friends and some other people. Uh, but I was hooked. I came back the next week. And then after like the third week of coming back, I ended up booking like a little show that was on the day after my surgery. So I canceled my surgery, never had it. My shoulders are still trash and fell in love with stand up. And that's, that's kind of how it happened. I wanted to be a wrestler first, but I'm glad I didn't get into that. I don't have the body for it. I hate working out and I'm better at the talking aspect. <laughs> yeah. Who were some of your like early influences? Like people, when you say you love stand up, like who are some of your like heroes? Um, the first ever stand-up special I saw, uh, Sinbad, Afros and Bell Bottoms. Mm -hmm. um, they like in the late '90s, early 2000s, they would play that special like five times a day. I felt like on Comedy Central, and I watched it every time. I watched it with my mom, and I, I just loved him. I, I actually got to see him at the Comedy Store late last year or early this year, whenever he performed there. He was thankfully he was doing a Sunday show, so I was able to fly home Sunday in the afternoon and then haul ass over to the comedy store and watch his set and i got a picture with him so i got to i got to be a fan which is awesome and so yeah big sinbad and then later i started watching all the you know the golden era the comedy central presents where it was like dave attell and jim gaffigan and dane cook and and all those guys but i was a big dave attell fan so like my first favorite comedian when I started stand-up was David Tell and then when I was a kid it was Sinbad and I'm still a huge Sinbad fan I still say I'll put his hour up against anybody he, he rocks that crowd um, but yeah those two guys I think were my big favorites yeah for me I always uh I remember watching that movie the first kid growing up mm -hmm. yep that was one of my watch that on a loop. yeah love that yeah I, I want to watch it with my best. daughter one day yeah, that would be the cool thing. Like, I kind of wish I had kids for that reason, to try to put on the movies I dug at their age and see if it holds up to their standards or if they're like, well, this isn't Pixar, I'm not interested. It's, it is the best feeling whenever I can 
watch something that pretty much formed who I am as a person. Like yeah. for me, it's Jim Carrey. Yeah, Jim Carrey yeah. has always been, you know, one of the top tier for me. And at a young age, I remember watching Ace Ventura, The Mask, Liar, Liar, and all of these movies. And now, you know, my daughter is four years old and she's like, Daddy, I want to watch The Funny Man. The Funny and, Man. Oh, so that's, that's we'll sit down and we'll watch it. And there is not a better feeling than watching her reenact some scenes from like Ace Ventura at four years old. It is the funniest thing you can imagine. That's great. Yeah, Jim Carrey. I watched all those growing up. Another big fan. I was a bigger Farley fan. I love the, oh, yeah. I love the Farley man. Um, and also with stand-up, for me, it's, uh, you know, I remember watching David Tell's Insomniac and things like that when I was growing up. But uh, obviously, being from the South, a lot of what you hear is like the blue-collar comedy tour and things like that. I remember listening to a Jeff Foxworthy um, cassette tape. Yeah. Walking around cleaning my yard out in the middle of the country. And like, and this was before he was like, you know, real family friendly. Like this was Jeff Foxworthy when he was blue. Oh yeah. Like in the nineties. Yeah. 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 Like early, early nineties. Yeah. And uh, I loved that. And the big one for me was uh, Chappelle. Yeah. I remember watching the Chappelle show when I was like 10, 11 years old and that was always such a treat because when I would go spend the weekend at my dad's house, he had, you know, cable and you could watch it real late on Comedy Central and it would be uncensored. Yeah. And I, I just would watch that and just howl laughing. And when I started watching his stand-up specials, because, you know, sometimes they would show the Chappelle show and then right after it, it would be like, Killing you know, them Comedy softly. Central, c- yeah. killing them softly, or my personal favorite, which is uh, for what it's worth. Oh, okay. I love that one. That one holds. Is that the one the where he was like, uh, he had like a goatee or something. Yeah, or he has like a real thick what? mustache. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that one. That one he really went cool. away right after that. Yeah, yeah, he didn't. I think that was the last special he put out until he came back a couple of years ago. Yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, I, I loved all of that early stuff and all of the stuff that he's put out recently i mean that's like that's been like christmas like whenever he's like i have three specials i'm about to release on netflix i was as giddy as a schoolgirl. i was like yeah you know and uh he just is like he almost to me just in my opinion it's like he reclaimed the throne just like after 11 years away he just comes back and he just drops these monster specials yeah better than everybody yeah. He uh, he's so good. He doesn't have to um, conform to the rules uh, of society. He can just come in, and the way he delivers it, and the way just his whole style, he can talk about whatever he wants, and he's bulletproof. It, not only is it ridiculously funny, but anytime people do get upset, it's not nearly as loud as when someone else gets in trouble for saying something along the lines. It's very. He's almost like, uh, it's very godlike, like legendary. Like he's at this whole other level, you know, and everyone else is many leagues below him, even when they're huge. So it's, yeah, watching him, I got to watch him do a set at the improv in Hollywood back in 2008, Mm. I think, Uh, 2009, I was living in LA and he hadn't made his comeback yet, but every once in a while, very rarely, he would pop in at a comedy club and do a set. 
And we were at a show somewhere else, and my buddy who I was with, this comic, Mark Saratella, got a text, and he goes, Chappelle's at the Improv, let's go. And we got in the car, and we hauled ass over there. We sat in the back corner where the comics sit. And I have never seen or felt a crowd pay more attention. Like, when he would hit a punchline, place would explode. But while he was setting something up, you could hear a pin drop. I've never experienced that, not just in a comedy club or a stand-up show, in anything. In any kind of live performance, I've never heard that kind of uh, intense silence as you were listening to every word this person's saying. It was, it was almost like a religious experiment. experience. It was, uh, it was really great. I was listening to something just the other day, and they were talking about, you know, you have to be comfortable with the silence to where, you know, like me, I'm still at the open mic stage of my career. Right. And, you know, there's times where I'll get up there and I'm going through my set. And if it's real quiet, I'll start to get nervous because I'm like, am I bombing? Am I, am I bombing? But in reality, it, it means they're listening to you. Sure. You know, if you, I mean, if it's a packed crowd and you've got them being quiet, you know, that's a good thing because you're, interesting enough that they're paying attention to you yeah if you hit your punchline and there's no reaction then you're bombing but if they're listening to you through your setup that's great they're just a good attentive audience sometimes i feel like with some of the newer comics they get way too comfortable with bombing not comfortable with silence because that's different than comfortable with bombing they get so comfortable with bombing that they almost don't have an urge to do well almost and I've seen that a few times where I'm like, are they trying to do good or are they trying to suck? And it's just like this this level of I don't care, which I guess is cool, but it's cool as long as it eventually leads to you being good. But right. if it doesn't, then you're just up there eating shit with confidence, which I don't know if that's good. Yeah, and I, I get what you're saying with that. I think it, what I think that is, is people, it's almost like a defense mechanism. And it keeps yeah, maybe. Them, yeah. maybe it keeps them from getting nervous. Cause like me, I want to do well every time I go on stage, even if it's just performing in front of the other comics at 9 PM at the comedy palace, you know, and it's yeah. six people in the audience. I still want to do well. Cause I want to get good feedback for what I've brought that evening. Of and, um, but other times I've just gone up there and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to wing it. Yeah. I'm just going to, talk about my day i'm gonna just you know kind of feel some stuff out and and sometimes that does better and to be honest with you i don't feel the same level of nervousness because it's like well if i bomb i'm just talking exactly that was one thing i that was another question i had for you um so obviously you know a magician never tells all of his secrets or how to do his tricks yeah but um so what would you say like your creative process is? I, I'm real interested to hear that from somebody who, you know, has, kind of, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Kind of like what you said, I like to go up and talk about my day. I mean, now I get to go up so infrequently because of the pandemic that I sometimes talk about my day from three days before, <laughs> but I like to go up and talk about my day and that's kind of how I generate material. Now there's sometimes there's some thoughts where I'm like, oh, I want to write a joke about this. This is how, how, how can we do this? And I'll mix it in while I talk about my day. Like, for example, I have this new bit about how we now live in a society with extra genders, like more genders than we had when I grew up. 
And then, uh, you know, I say, I like, I'm a big fan of it. I just, I look at it. I still see why people are against it. And then it's because I grew up at a time when I was taught that Pluto was a planet and I was taught that Pluto was a planet for 12 years. And then a year after I graduated, they're like, Pluto's not a planet anymore. And I'm like, well, too late. You already taught me that it's going to be, it's going to be a planet till I die. And then a few years after that, they're like, Pluto's a planet again. And I'm like, yeah, I thought you'd come back. Mm -hmm. And that's how people that that's how some people look at the extra genders. It's like, no, I was taught there's two and blah, blah, blah. So that's how I like, if I want to talk about a certain subject, I'll actually like think about it and go, oh yeah, this, this, and this. I always daydream. So it's not like I set time to sit down and write. It's just, I'll think about a subject and I'll be like, oh yeah, Pluto. I used to think Pluto was a planet blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's a good tweet. Oh, maybe I should try it on stage. And then I usually like to open about my day or yesterday or something. So it's very conversational. That's the magic in it or the magic trick in what I do anyway. Um, It just sounds like I'm talking. And, but I think about what I'm saying. And once I start getting into the material and especially with the joke that I have down, all the same beats are there. Maybe I'll move some stuff around, but for the most part, the beats are there, but it still feels as conversational as the first five minutes did when I'm just talking about my day. So that's kind of how I generate material try to keep it very conversational. Sometimes I go on stage with not much to say and I'm like, well, let's feel this out. And it kind of goes from there. I, it's, I don't write things out word for word. Some people do, like Jesse Egan writes that way. Jesse Egan will be like, I want to do a joke about scissors and then he'll write seven pages on scissors and then he'll edit and then he'll end up with like three good minutes on scissors. And that's not really how I work. I work this other way, but that's the good thing about stand-up. There are no rules. You can kind of do what works for you, but that's just what works for me. If you look through my comedy notebooks, it's just words and phrases that help jog my memory to know what those words and phrases were supposed to mean as the bit. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I'm trying to work through like personally, cause I, I still don't feel like I've, like really found my voice i don't feel like i've really figured out like hey this is what works for me as far as writing so i'm still experimenting with a lot of different things and i i feel like a lot of people that when you're really first starting out even though you know i'm eight years in give or take a couple of years of you know no activity but i'm still you know at the base level and i'm just trying to figure out what works for me yeah and it's that part's never gonna go away like i i'm in 14 years and i think my voice i think if you put on an album from a few years ago it's still there like you can tell it's me but there's been slight differences to the way i deliver the way i talk my pacing very slight differences but i think your voice evolves over time Right. I don't think there's going to be a magical set where afterwards you go, oh, that's me. And then that's who you are. It's going to be the slow evolution to you're like, well, this is me now. And then in five years, this is me then, you know, it's kind of like a band, you know, unless you're ACDC, where you sound exactly the same from album one to album 20, unless you're that, uh, odds are your sound's going to change a little bit as the years go on. Do you ever feel like you are funnier 
just when you're like around a group of friends? Sure. And do well, you feel like you like you wish you could? I mean, I'm you obviously are a much more established, and you feel comfortable on stage by now. But whenever, like for me, if I get around a group of friends and I can get them all laughing. I, it's like something clicks on us. Like if I could be this person on stage, I would be where I wanted to be. I, I forget which comic gave this advice, but it was on some podcast years ago. But someone said, you got to tell these jokes on stage like you're telling them to your friends at the bar. And that means, you know, and that's great advice because that means you don't have to give every detail to the joke. Just like you would at a friend at the bar. They know you. Act like this crowd knows you. And talk to them like you're making your group of friends laugh and then once you're able to translate that and figure that out then you're off to the races man because then you once you connect with an audience on that level where you're just joking around with them like you're hanging at the bar you're really killing fair enough <laughs> well i mean that's one way to do it yeah. or yeah uh, how about all the other comics that do it differently you think anthony jeselnik jokes around at the bar no. with his friends, the way he delivers his stand-up? No. And that's the cool thing. There are no rules. You can go up and be regimented, go, I'm going to do this like dark one-linery stuff, or you can be a storyteller guy. There's so many different ways to attack it. You just have to find what you enjoy. And that's the whole fun of experimenting with it. Um, that's the whole reason I think comics shouldn't be uh, held accountable for what they say in their first five years of stand-up. They're just grabbing at straws, trying to be funny, desperately trying not to bomb so if they end up saying something that isn't uh politically correct or whatever i don't think you should be held accountable until like year six year six it's like all right then go cancel them or whatever but first five years give them some grace they're just learning right um so you started in 2006 when you were 19 years old yeah okay um so when did you start to kind of look at this it's like hey this is what i want to do for a living this is you know what i want to do with my life when did you start to make the transition from open micer to like feature okay well i mean mentally i i knew i wanted to do this for a living like after the first time i went on stage uh when i actually started working the road was 2010 so like four years in and some guys do it way earlier the only reason it took me that long was no, there's no one around to tell me how. Like, it seemed like I came up in this era where people were just like, the other comics I worked with were just doing open mics and doing local shows. And it's like, yeah, but how do you do shows out of town, out of state? You know, how do you do that? That seemed like the million dollar question. It was like this invisible wall and we didn't know how to break through. And uh, I think in 2010, I reached out to all these like uh, these booking agencies that run like little one nighters here and there. And there's this one Summit Comedy, which is huge now. They're my college agency now. Chuck Johnson's great. But I sent him a folder. I've made all these folders. My mom had this photo printer and I printed a headshot on the front of the folder. I had a headshot on the inside and I had a DVD and a resume. And I would send out these big ass folders. I sent out like six to 10 of them. And the only one that responded was some comedy. And they're like, well, this is funny. I'll book you for uh, Jeremiah Bullfrogs in Topeka, Kansas. And I went out there. They were only paying me $250 to do a Friday and Saturday night. 
plus hotel. Uh, I spent 400 on the flight, so I'm already upside down. And uh, I did the show, and the lady I opened for, Jen Kober, who was an established headliner at that point, she comes up to me and she goes, you did great. You had, because the open, it was a two-person show, so I had to do 35 minutes and she did 55. And she's like, I've never had anyone open for me that was actually funny for 35 minutes. And I go, I, I, to her, I said, I would never apply to do a 35-minute set unless I had 45 minutes, just in case 10 minutes of it doesn't work. And she goes, yeah, normally comics with eight minutes come out and do this. So they do well for eight minutes and then bomb for the next 27, 28 minutes. And so she then took me to feature for her at another club. And then slowly the ball, ball starts rolling. Then I meet another comic in town that's a headliner. We become friends, and then he brings me out to open for him in Vegas. Now I'm in with that. Then I work with a headliner there. He brings me out to another club. So slowly it starts snowballing, and then that happened in 2010. I didn't uh, quit my day job till 2015. So there's a whole five-year stretch there. You know, 2010, 2011, uh, I think 2012, I started headlining. So I was like featuring opening in 2010, 2011, 2012. Some of the clubs were headlining me, still most of them featuring. And then 2013, I won the Seattle International Comedy Competition. And then that helped me a lot. And I got a college agent there. And then in 2015, I booked a bunch of colleges and I was able to quit my job. Um, but I feel like those things could have happened sooner had I known, had there been experienced people in the scene to tell me, oh, you want to do this, do this. And there just wasn't. So that's why I spent four years just kind of milling around Southern California between San Diego and LA doing spots and just trying to figure it all out. Yeah, I think now with like how much information there is out there between different podcasts and you know, like I'm part of this Facebook group um, called the uh, Right 10 Club, where every morning uh, this comedian, he's in Atlanta, his name is Joel Byers. He gives you a word prompt and then you spend 10 minutes writing just with that one word prompt and you come up with your joke and you post it in the comments and whoever gets the most likes wins for the day. And it's just a really good way to, you know, kind of keep yourself sharp and, you know, make yourself want to write in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And like, there's so many like big name comics that I've become a huge fan of just from listening to their podcasts, like Joey Diaz. Oh yeah. He's hilarious. He can his, read a phone book and be funny. Yeah. And his podcast is so good for like young comics and him explaining like how, you know, he was a dirty, rotten criminal. And he'll tell you that Yeah. almost till he was 30 years old when he finally started doing stand up. And mm -hmm. how it was just this dirty grind the entire time to get him to where he is now. Oh, yeah. And that kind of gives, you know, somebody like me, because when I first started, when I was 18, I was like, you know, this is great. I'm young. And, you know, I, as long as I stick with it, you know, I'll be famous by the time I'm 25. Right. But then life happens. I got yeah. married. I joined the military. I had a kid. And then it just slowly starts to be like, okay this stuff can t still happen, but I started, you know, kind of snapping into reality where I was like, you know, being a great standup takes years of discipline and so many sets and doing this here and trying this there. Like I, 
I started realizing like all the people that are my favorite comics are like in their forties and they've been doing mm -hmm. this for 30 years, yeah, 20, 20, 30, 30 years. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. It's uh, you got to do it every day and it's, you can't put a timestamp on it. You can't go, I'll be famous at 26 or I'll be doing it for a living at 30 or whatever. Um, because this isn't like being a doctor. You know, it's not like being a lawyer. Oh, I'll go to school for this and then I'll get an internship past the bar. Now I'm a lawyer. It doesn't work that way in comedy. You'll see some people blow up immediately and they're headlining and selling tickets and making a killing a year in, two years in. I mean, especially in the last five years, how many YouTube stars and yeah. now TikTok stars have you seen like touring the country and they might not be the best standups, but they have 300 people in a sold out comedy club that are stoked that they're there. Absolutely. So there's no clear route. And I think one of the mistakes sometimes comics make is they go, well, they got that. How come I didn't get that? Yeah. And it's like, everyone's on their own journey, which is, it can be frustrating, but your story isn't going to be someone else's. And it's, it's kind of good to, put the blinders on like a racehorse and just keep going forward because it, I honestly think if you don't quit, you'll eventually make a living in standup. I I've worked with so many comedians that are terrible that do it for a living and have done it for a living because they find their market and it's just about not quitting. And, and it really, if you love it, it's not hard to stick with it. Like I've talked to so many people, they're like, oh man, you really grinded through all the bad years. They never felt like bad years to me. They always were very enjoyable. And every year I, I felt a little bit of progress and I loved being on stage. I get depressed if I don't get to go on stage. So the hard work of it never felt like work. It just felt like what I was supposed to be doing. And it brought me a lot of joy, even while it kicked me in the nuts a lot of times. It's yeah. just the way it goes. So going back to that story that you told whenever you went to Kansas and opened, the first yeah. time you opened, you did 35 minutes? Yeah, yeah. So on those, on those one-nighters, now, you know, granted, I've been doing comedy for four years at the time, um, and, and a lot of comedy. Like in, uh, you know, you were saying in, in Huntsville, or not Huntsville, Hattie's, where uh, the Stardome is, Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, they had an open mic once a month in san diego we had it every week at three different locations so getting on stage a lot more helps progress faster and come up with more material obviously it's just more reps and uh yeah the first time i opened 35 minutes in this sports bar that had an off like side room that looked like a comedy club it was actually a really good setup and i had two really fun nights uh, and I also learned that everything in the South shuts down at about nine o'clock. So I ended up having dinner at Walmart. I went to mm. Walmart and got some TV dinners and took it back to my room at the super eight or wherever the hell I was staying and ate my dinner out of the microwave. And I'm like, Oh man, I'm a real comedian. And you know, now you'd have to put a gun to my mother's head for me to do that gig. But back in, <laughs> back in 2010, man, I was so happy to be out there. I was like, this is comedy. I'm out here doing it. And it, it felt like progress, you know, it felt like progress. And that's all there. That's all you need when you're chasing a dream is to just notice some kind of progress and enjoying the ride getting there. Yeah. For me, uh, whenever I, even though right now, like I'll take anything that I can get. I had the opportunity to 
uh, performing a talent show here on Coronado in February, right before everything shut down. Cool. And uh, it was the biggest room I'd ever done. It, it was 850 people. Wow. And it was, you know, broadcast on local television. And I didn't win the contest, but the prize for me was just walking out in this huge theater. And performing. You know? And yeah. as a comedian, you know, whenever you sit and daydream about, you know, what you want to get to, you know, that feeling of walking out into that theater as they call out your name and that spotlight hits you and everybody's, you know, applauding. That's like something that boosted me up. And, you know, I still, I get chills talking about it still. That's and I great. was lucky enough to, you know, I, right before I got off stage, I turned around and I took a selfie of me in the crowd. And, you know, I have that framed right above my <laughs> desk where I do a lot of my writing. Cause you know, that was a big, and I tell people about that, that don't do stand up or, you know, they've never performed in front of people and they're like, you know, what's the big deal? And I'm like, that right. is huge to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, yeah. We're, we're little nerds for our world. And, you know, I'm sure when I told my friends like, yeah, I'm going to Topeka, Kansas to lose $250 and perform in a sports bar. They're like, Oh, I guess comedy's going great. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and genuinely I was like, yeah, I'm on the right I'm on the right track. It's a very slow train, but I'm on the right track. And, uh, but to people on the outside, they're like, this, this sounds like a horrible way to make a living. Yeah. I mean, I could understand. I, I would feel personally like people in San Diego would probably look at it like, you know, cause there's comics that come here. You can see big name headliners in town and there's comedy clubs in town where I'm from. Like you're not anybody until you're on television. At least that's what everybody else, you know, thinks. So right. when I tell them like, Oh, I performed at the comedy store. Well, they're thinking like, Oh, well you were, you know, I heard about that on the Joe Rogan podcast and that must be a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it was a big deal, but in reality, no, they, but to them, it's a big deal too, because they've heard him talk about it. Right. And they're like, oh, you got to perform on the stages that all those other guys perform on. And it is a big deal. But it's also like they can sign up for it, too. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. Like, that's another thing when people go, oh, I don't know if I'm a comedian. I've done three open mics. It's like, well, there's no test. If you go do comedy, you're a comedian, whether you make a living at it, whether you're a millionaire at it or whether it's your second time going up there, you're a comedian. There's no license. <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's nothing. So you're a comic and, but at the same time, anyone can go do it. And that's, I think that's the beauty of it. It's very accessible to everybody. And it's a very, uh, it's, it's merit based, your success. And I, th I it's very fair. I think stand up is very fair where, you know, sometimes someone might get a really good position at a job because they're the boss's kid. Well, you could be a famous comedian's kid. And if you're not funny, you're not yeah. going to be able to do stand like you're just going to be doing open mics. Like you're not going to break past that. So that's what stand up is very fair in a, in a world that many times isn't. So it doesn't matter what you look like. You could be like somebody like Ralphie may who was yeah. pushing 400 pounds and he, yeah. it, doesn't matter i've seen people who are the most beautiful human beings you've ever seen get up there and bomb because nobody cares how they look yeah that was that's one of the things that's changed in comedy that i'm not a huge fan of but hey funny people can be attractive too 
This used to be an ugly man's game. Yeah. This used to be like comedy used to be trolls coming out of the woodworks to entertain the, the common folk. And then now we have like just supermodels out there performing and you're like, oh, they're good too. Like, that's not fair. Anytime I see like a super attractive dude who's funny, I'm always like, well, I hope he has a tiny penis. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise the world isn't fair. If he's got a giant one and he's good looking and he's funny, I, I want no part of this world because that's yeah. just not fair. I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, I feel like people have started to realize that getting yourself in better shape and taking care of yourself, like health wise kind of yeah. contributes to creativity and also your mood. Like me personally, you know, if I just sit around and I'm real lethargic and I don't do anything, it makes me feel depressed. It makes me not want to do any writing or even really go to open mics. Whereas, you know, if I run and, you know, lately I, I, I've been taking a martial arts class and now it's just like wide open. Like I've, I've been writing more, even during this whole quarantine thing, you know, I've felt really creative because I had to get myself moving. Right. And that's, what's really helped me out. And, you know, like I kind of, you know, stalked your Instagram a little bit before this, I saw that you've actually lost a lot of weight yeah. when you first started. I don't mean to, you know, make that oh, no, sound no. negative, but you know, no, I lost a bunch, dude. I, uh, was it my fattest? I was like two fifteen, and then now I'm one seventy five. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know what happened? My weight blew up when my career started becoming a career. Uh, I was traveling and then in 2015, I booked a bunch of colleges. So now I'm getting paid every night and staying at the Marriott and I would come in after a show. I'd go up to the hotel bar. I'm like, give me a cheeseburger. And what's that whiskey up at the top tastes like? Cause I know what everything at the bottom tastes like. I've been drinking it my whole life. What's that stuff at the top tastes like? Yeah. So I was doing that every night. Marriott burgers or the steak, whatever they got and then top shelf booze and then the morning McDonald's. And I did that for like four months. And I was heavy before, I was like chubby before then, but then I got really heavy after that. And then, so I had to like, I think 2017, early 2018, I started like consciously putting myself on a diet. And then I found boxing. I went to a boxing class and I think it's the real important thing with like weight loss is just finding an exercise you don't hate. Like, I love boxing almost as I almost as much as I love stand up. Like I want to do it every day. I never have to drag my ass to the gym. I never have to drag my ass to go punch the heavy bag I have hanging outside. I'm always pumped to do it. And between that and then like cutting out carbs, uh, I was able to lose a bunch of weight. So that's and it, it does make you more productive, I think. Um, and just generally happier, you know, happier and all that good stuff. I'm still as self-conscious as I ever was. I'll always be the fat kid at heart, but, uh, but you know, my, my pants are smaller, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. And you look better too. Well, thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you featured, you know, you yeah. featured for a while. When did you start to see like, okay, now I'm having the opportunity to headline. Like when was your transition to now I'm, the name on the marquee uh the first club to headline me was a club in colorado springs and they just did it off comment cards 
Like they had me feature twice and then I guess they got a bunch of comment cards saying, Hey, that feature act should be the headliner. And, um, and I knew that was coming because I was, I was really, I, I was going on stage with the purpose of taking this person's job. And I tell people that all the time, like uh, Jesse Egan, we were talking about him. He's one of the nicest people on the planet, but I go, Hey man, when I bring you out to a club, your goal in the feature hole should be taking my job and doing it the right way. I'm not saying blow up the room with a bunch of crowd work and, and being disgusting and being blue. No, do it the right way. Do it with your material, but destroy. And it's not like I'm going to lose my job. They're just giving you a week now too. And that's what you have to do. So the same from the host spot, kill from the host spot, bump up to feature. And if you're killing from the host spot, you'll destroy from the feature spot because it's a way easier spot and then you'll be headlining. Um, but that was the first club to do it through common cards. And then in 2013, I won the Seattle international comedy competition. So I got to headline clubs up there. Uh, that is one of my biggest pieces of advice for young comedians. I've, I got this, I got asked this by uh, a local comic at a backyard show we just did. He goes, what, what, what do you, how do you do it? How do you break out of this and go up to the next level? And for me, the thing that's helped the most is comedy contests um, or festivals. Uh, that's how, that's helped a lot. And you just meet bookers, you go up and do well. Uh, that's how I got a college agent out of it. That's how I got an agent for like uh, auditions and writing packets and stuff. That's how you make connections. And so I really recommend them. Don't just sign up for any of them because some of them are just a money grab. But some of the reputable ones, you know, uh, what's that? Big Sky in Montana, I think is great. I've done that one. Uh, the Seattle competition, San Francisco competition, both very good. Atlanta's Laughing Skull. Uh, I think Boston has one. I don't know. Look them up, but ask comics as to which ones are a waste of time and which ones really get you somewhere. Uh, and that, I think that really helped. Yep. That was something that I did when I first got here. I, uh, you know, at the turn of the year, I applied for the funniest person in San Diego contest, mm -hmm. which I luckily, that was actually my last set. It was towards the end of February. Oh yeah. And it was, the longest set I've ever done to date was 10 minutes, but this one was eight and I'm not okay. used to doing anything more than five. Yeah. And it was, the crowd was packed and they weren't yeah. there to see anybody in particular. Like right. it was just like some conference coming into town and they were like, well, we just wanted to see comedy tonight. So yeah. they loaded in this place and, you know, I was really nervous cause you know, I'm competitive and I wanted to just, you know, advance the next level. Yeah. And I think, I don't know what it was. Maybe I was just too robotic and I was too inside of my own head. I felt like I did well and I, I didn't get selected, but you know, it's fine. I was upset at the time, but you know, sure. th that type of stuff happens. But um, I also applied for the San Diego comedy festival, mm -hmm. which has been postponed indefinitely. I'm thinking it's yeah. probably not going to happen this year. Yeah. 2021. Yeah, probably if ever, but yeah. Uh, I think it's really good. I think all that stuff is good. It's the stuff that's helped me out a lot. Um, but there's stuff comics can do now. I mean, we talked about TikTok and Instagram and making funny sketches. You know, my, uh, Brent Pella, who does those great Joe Rogan impressions and Eminem, and he can sell tickets. I talk with him all the time and uh, guys like Trevor Wallace. You can go. There's so many different ways to go make a name for yourself. Um, 
dry bar comedy helped me immensely. And because of that and that followership, I put Modern Mail out in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, just because I was like, well, I was going to chop up this footage anyway, because I had a record company that was going to release the album later anyway. I was like, why don't I just put it up and put full special and all the hashtags. And we hit a million views. I wasn't expecting that, but that helped grow the audience even more. So during this downtime, it's great to write. Always stay on top of it. When you can get on stage, do go on stage. Try a Zoom show. I've done two of them, and I was very against it in the beginning, but I've done two of them, and I had a great time at both. Um, try different things. Be creative. Don't just say, I only do stand up and that's it. Open yourself up. Open yourself. I mean, this is a great reset on life. And this is a good time to try different things. And I, I feel like if comedians aren't trying different things at a time like this, they're really doing themselves a disservice. You gotta, what's that saying? You gotta change with the times or get left behind. I feel like this is one of those moments. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Like you just said, like, literally what I talk to my wife about and she looks at me like I have lobsters hanging from my ears. Cause I, yeah. you know, she hears the most of it from anyone, but like you said, like this pandemic has really, I feel like educated a lot of comics. Like you got to come at this from so many different angles. Yep. If you were just a stand up before, mm -hmm. what are you doing now to continue to build your brand? Are you, do you have a podcast? Do you have a TikTok? Are you, like one of my main, one of the people that I'm really like in love with right now is Andrew Schultz. Oh yeah, that guy uh, completely self-made and he's huge now. I, I, one of the one of my goals in comedy is just to be as independent as that guy. Like the my idol, who uh, Doug Stanhope. I mm -hmm. totally love that guy's like point of view on his career. He's completely self-made. He sells his own tickets. He puts on his own shows. He doesn't mess with the, with the industry side of it. He has his cult following. He lives in a small town in Bisbee, Arizona, and he goes out and tours and kills it and puts out his own content. Then you have like a guy like Andrew Schultz who built himself up with all his crowd work videos, and now he does a podcast and a bunch of other stuff, but he is completely self-made independent. That is the goal. Um, I wanted to say this earlier, but this is now is a good, good time as any. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. When I started doing colleges in 2015, uh, working at these NACA conferences to get the bookings, I met a bunch of comedians I'd never met before, but they're very successful on the college market. They don't perform at clubs. They don't perform at other places. They just do colleges. And then I started working cruise ships and I met a bunch of old timers that all they ever do is cruise ships. And that's great until it turns off. So now you can't do colleges. You can also age out of colleges because eventually someone's not gonna wanna book someone super old. And then you gotta move over to cruise ships unless there's a pandemic. Now that's shut down. There's a lot of people that didn't focus on their social media and their YouTube page. So now they're just sitting at home with no money. That's why I did colleges. I did some cruise ships, but I didn't fall into the world because they were offering me you know, 30 weeks a year. And I'm like, no, I don't wanna be stuck in that world that doesn't help me grow anywhere. There's a cap to it. So I would only take like six or seven weeks a year. And the more revenue streams you have. So doing colleges, doing cruise ships, uh, doing your own shows. That's what I was doing, doing comedy clubs and private events. If one shuts down, you still have the others. And 
that's the best thing you can do. Don't just be, I'm just doing stand up and I'm, and, I, and that's it. I know it's not fun to hear, but attack all these different things. And once your career starts growing, don't fall into one thing. Don't just say I'm only doing colleges because that has an end to it. And don't just do cruise ships. Don't just do, don't just do YouTube. <laughs> I mean, unless you're Andrew Schultz, where I don't even think that guy needs to perform live anymore. He's making, I'm sure, buku dollars from just doing YouTube. Unless you're him, you can just stay there. But for the rest of us, diversify your portfolio and do everything. Yeah. I mean, he, I feel like he has blown up more during the pandemic than before. Yeah, yeah. Him and Bezos. Uh, him and Bezos have yeah. uh, have been the most successful during this pandemic. Like I had tick my buddy. He bought me tickets to go watch him film his special in mm -hmm. L.A. It was supposed to happen in April. He bought them back in December of last year. Yeah. And uh, you know, obviously, it got postponed. I don't. I don't even know if it's going to happen this year. It may get pushed back till two thousand twenty one. I mean, if it does happen, it won't get filmed in L.A. Because yeah. California will be the last state to, I think, fully open uh, comedy clubs or live events like that. But, I mean, there's other states that are fully open. My buddy just did Oklahoma City, and he sent me a video of the club, and, like, it's packed, sold out. Yeah. No yeah. one's wearing a mask. So, I mean, it's like a different world depending on what state you're in. It's the same um, way in Alabama right now. They just yeah. approved live entertainment. They're about to have college football. I don't think they're going to allow as many fans, but still. Like, right. when I talk to people from back home, they're like, what's it like out there? And I'm like, well, if you want to go out to eat, you have to do it outside. Right. Um, you can go to church. You can – but as long as it's out to outside. outside. And all of the comedy clubs have been shut down. Yeah. And we don't know why just because literally just because yeah they don't know they're all playing guests like i guess do that those were one of the jokes i had where we're dealing with the reopening phase like we just got into an argument with a significant other and you just poke your head into the door and you're like is this okay and then you slowly start creeping in is this okay that's all we're doing remember when you could get a haircut for two weeks yeah. they opened the boxing gym they opened the salons and then all the numbers spiked and then they're like oh can't do that so then they shut it down uh, I'm not going to fight it. I, everyone, like, I know we live in a time right now where you have to really fight for what you believe in and all those things. I'm not going to, I'm I'm not wasting, I'm definitely not going to fight for the reopening of anything during COVID. I, I still like my old mom, you know? So yeah. I'm good with waiting. I understand that some businesses need to be out there. Uh, but I do feel like the comedy clubs that made the changes to be outside should be allowed outside. What's the difference if you're allowing a restaurant to serve spaghetti if there's a guy on that stage talking about his penis? Like, what's the difference? I don't think it infects anybody anymore. And I think once they figure that out, they'll, they'll allow outdoor comedy again. Yeah, I was really excited for it. Like once, you know, I was kind of timid at first, you know, because it had been so long since I'd gone up or anything. And then... I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go next week. I'm just going to go to the open mic and just get back out there. And then I literally, I look on the news cause Taylor Thomason was doing the comedy store Yeah. and they shut it down. What? 45 minutes before she was supposed to go on stage. I was supposed to be there the following weekend. I was pretty pumped about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a text saying it's not happening. I'm like, of course. But you know, literally right next door, 
there's a restaurant with 60, 70 people sitting at tables, eating for two hours, no yep. mask, coughing, sneezing, but that's, that's perfectly fine. I don't know. Like I watch all the, I read all the arguments cause I like to make myself mad. And I read how people leave comments under news stories, depending on what they are. And I read people's tweets. And I, I really think this pandemic's for the best. It's too bad it's not deadlier. Uh, <laughs> honestly, it's, people are disgusting. Uh, you read all these comments and stuff. And I know it's a fake version of themselves because no one talks like this in person. No one would ever be this cold hearted or, or rude to another human one on one. But I guess on our phones, it's a different lifestyle that we live but yeah you read those comments and you're like this thing isn't deadly enough like a lot less people should be surviving it um and then maybe it would open people's eyes but honestly i don't think it will i think it's a me versus you world and the people that are kind of diplomatic get kind of drowned out in the noise because that's not very popular right now yeah you know, it used to be popular to be like, well, I think this, but I see where you're coming from. But now it's popular to go, you're an idiot and I'm 100% right all the time. Yep. And that's the way to do it in today's uh, today's generation, which makes comedy very interesting. It does. And like Facebook is literally just turned into just political arguments. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what, oh, what are we arguing about today? I, and everything's political because they've always told comedians, oh, stay away from politics. And I remember I got uh, Ben Shapiro did a review of Cardi B's music video and I, I made fun that. of it. Yeah, I made fun of it. And like a couple of the comments were stay away from politics. And I'm like, just because he's a political commentator, he's not talking about politics in this. He's breaking down a rap video. I'm, I think this is fair game. So yeah. if we politicize everything, that means what, what can I talk about? I'm just going to be up there talking about butter until one political side goes butter's great and then the other side says it's not and then I'm not even allowed to talk about butter anymore? Like, calm down. Everything's fine. You still get to vote however you want in November, as do I. And these are just jokes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know why people think, well, okay, this person primarily talks politics, so they must know everything about politics at the end of the day ben shapiro is just a performer yeah he yeah. just it's talks like about alex politics. Jones. Yeah. alex jones is a pro wrestling manager heel and but tell his fans that and they're insane but whatever you know i'm it glad he's a making listen, a living though. yeah I, I i think alex jones i don't listen to his show religiously or anything like that but i think it is like the clips that I'll see of it is the funniest shit I've ever seen. Oh, I've laughed my ass off many times. I tried to listen to him on Rogan. He did like some five hour episode and I, I made it about three hours. And then I was like, this is psychobabble. Like if he's acting, he deserves an Oscar. Yeah. I think he might actually, I think his brain just might be firing off these sentences and quicker than he can process them. And they just start shooting out. And I'm like, all right, I guess that's what you believe. Yeah. Um, pretty much the last question I think I got for you today is, you know, what are some of your long-term goals? Like as far as your career as a comic, like what to you is like what you sit and daydream about and think like, okay, that's something that I definitely want to try and achieve. Uh, I think complete independence. Um, like I was talking about, like having some form of a Doug Stanhope career where I have my fans 
I don't want to be the biggest comedian. I don't want to be Chappelle. Uh, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. And I don't ever have to worry about being Chappelle because I don't have the talent. But I would love complete independence from not having to work colleges, not ever having to even entertain the idea of going on a cruise ship, not having to even do a private event. I do my own shows, not even at a comedy club. I go to a cool independent venue. I rent it out, keep all the ticket sales to me and just be completely independent and not in need of any agent, manager, uh, any other revenue stream. It's all me. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. I mean, for me, as I've gotten older, I definitely now, obviously I'm still, you know, at the very bottom of the ladder, but for me, it's just, I just want to make a living doing this. Yep. Like if I could just entertain people and I made the same money that I made right now, I'd be, right. that'd be it. I would have yeah. literally be living the dream. Right. So that's the goal now, even if it's, you know, not even necessarily through stand-up. I'll always want to do stand-up because I love it. It's fun. But, you know, if I'm the cruise director on a carnival cruise and I go down to the, you know, the little comedy club that they got there in the ship and I, you know, open up or something like that, I would, you know, I would enjoy that because the grand scheme of things, I'm entertaining people. If I'm a, right. a voice actor and that's my primary revenue stream, I'm still going to go do stand-up wherever I can. That's true. Yeah. It, it's it, also goals change. Cause I remember when my only goal was, I just want to do this for a living. And then once 2015 happened and I was able to do that, then the goals became, all right, now you adjust your goals. You're like, all right, I've made it to this. Now what do I want? Now I want to be completely independent and sell my own tickets and not deal with comedy clubs. I don't enjoy and all that good stuff. So yeah, I think, just as in life, your goals change and evolve. And I guess true to human nature, we become greedy and we go, well, I want this or that. I don't want to be a millionaire. I'm cool. I grew up poor. And the fact that I live in a place with a foundation, I'm super pumped about. Um, and yeah, just keeping it simple and just being independent. So you don't have to really don't have to answer to anybody, I, I think is the ultimate goal. Yeah, I think one and i i feel like this is almost kind of selfish but it's always something that i've looked at as like that's really what would make me like super happy along with you know being independent like you said and you know making a living doing this but i've always looked at like being a paid regular and getting my name written on the side of the comedy store oh nice as like you know that's my star on the hollywood walk of fame oh no nice. you know? yeah well get that get that signature man that's i mean I feel like there's so many comics. Like when you go in there and you look at the building and you, I look and I see Jim Carrey's name and I see Robin Williams name. It's like, man, like if I work hard enough at this, I can get my name on the wall too. Yeah. Just don't quit. Yep. It's, and if, like I said, if it's something you already enjoy doing, not quitting isn't, isn't that hard. Yep. Um, I think that pretty much wraps it up, man. I really appreciate you sitting down with me today. Is there, do you have any questions for me or anything before we sign? No, up? man. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. And, uh, it's been fun talking comedy with you and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we get to do a show together in person when that's allowed legally again. You know? Yeah. I would love that. Anytime you're going to be 
performing at the comedy store or any of the local places around here, especially if you're headliner and even if you're featuring, I'll bring the wife out because we watched your special Modern Male. And real quick, I want to touch on that before we go. That, for me, shooting a special, I feel like for a lot of young comics, that's like a big milestone. Like I know you've done albums and stuff before, but when you actually shoot a special, it's like, holy cow. And, you know, I've always thought about, you know, like if I did get an hour of good material together, could I do this myself without waiting on Netflix or somebody like that? And to watch your special, how it's just one camera angle. And I I don't want to burst your bubble, but I didn't set that up to be a camera or to be a special taping. What I was originally going to do was we were recording the album anyway, and we were going to release it. And I was like, oh, I'll set up the camera and we can chop up footage for Instagram and blah, 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 YouTube and all that stuff. And then when the pandemic hit, I was like, why don't I just put the whole thing up? And then I did and it, good things happened with it. Um, I did film a special. I'm, I think I'm going to release it. It was never released. I filmed it in 2013. I did it myself uh, with a buddy of mine who has a really good camera setup and all that stuff. But I'm probably going to release it uh, this year as, as an added thing. But yeah, just the idea of putting together an hour is so much fun. Because it takes, I think it takes, uh, everyone's different. But that modern male thing took me a year and a half. And I'm really proud of the material. And usually I'm not. Usually I'm like, I'll poke holes and I'm like, oh, we could have done this, we could have done that. But I was really happy with that hour. And I'm happy that other people are too you know that's the big fear you put it out there and then you just get a thousand down votes or whatever and say you suck and there 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 are plenty that say i suck but there's way more comments that are like this is great thanks so much blah 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 never heard of you or or i have heard of you and love the new material and that's all that's all that keeps you going and i can't wait to go out there and build the next one um and i'm cool if i'm never on netflix i'm totally fine if i'm never on hulu or or amazon prime if there's been one common theme in my career if you can even call it that if there's anything cool to be done i will do the opposite version that's not that cool is everyone getting netflix specials cool i got drive bar is everyone on at midnight i did a show called punchline like it's all it's all in what you know what you're going for and what is offered to you and being happy with that, I think is important. Yeah, man. I, I hope you do get a Netflix special. I think you would absolutely rock it and it would just push you that much farther, but it's good that you're, you know, humble about it to where if it doesn't come your way, you know, I'm totally fine. I, I always, anytime I get those feelings like, Oh, I wish I was doing what that person was doing. I go, Hey, remember the ultimate goal was, I don't want to have a day job and I've been doing that for five years now and everything else is just cherry. So even the goal of being completely independent is just icing on the cake, but I still want that icing. Um, If I don't make it any bigger than I am today, I don't care. Uh, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to unload trucks and drive a forklift. That's what I was doing. I didn't want to work up the mechanic shop. I, I, no knock on anyone that does that stuff. It just, it, it really made me sad. So I yeah. just wanted to do stand-up and I'm doing it and I'm stoked about it. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, this has been a lot of fun. I've really uh, appreciated you taking the time to sit down and do this with me. For and, sure. Um, you know, 
like you said, I'm looking forward to seeing you at some of the clubs around town and, you know, getting back to it. Hopefully all this ends. Yeah, sooner than later. But until yep. then, cheers, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, you take care. Bye. 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 Once again, a huge thanks to Zoltan for sitting down and talking with me today. Um, you know, me as a young comic, just trying to get my foot in the door it's really nice and really reassuring to listen to somebody who's established and kind of, you know, figure out, you know, my way around, so to speak. But anyway, you know, like I said, I really enjoyed sitting down and talking with him. And like I say, every single week, look, if you want to be a guest on the Mac Daddy Seminar, reach out to me, hit me up, hit me up on Instagram, hit me up on Facebook, whatever. Send me an email. Send me a, a carrier pigeon if you want to, okay? Just send me a message, and I'll see, you know, if we got something we can talk about. I've been reaching out to people like, hey, just like Zoltan, hey, do you want to be a guest? And to my surprise, he said yes. So I don't know. If you have a suggestion for somebody that I should interview on this podcast, please let me know because interaction is what is going to get the ball rolling and get me more guests. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Um, real quick, before I go, I want to uh, I want to talk about something that's happening right now in San Diego. Um, as I've said before, and I talked a little bit about in the episode, uh, stand-up comedy and live entertainment in general has been outlawed by local government. Okay, a couple weeks ago... They went around and shut down all the comedy clubs because they're not supposed to have live entertainment. Even though, even though restaurants are able to operate outside with impunity, the comedy clubs moved everything outside and they were holding shows. But the police said, no, you can't do that. The only things you're allowed to do outside if you're not a restaurant is either A, hold a religious service, or B, protest. So the logic is gone. It's just, oh, well, these people are practicing religion, which you have the right under the Constitution to do, or you have to be protesting, which you also have the right under the Constitution to do. Now, if you're just there to tell jokes, then you are technically in the wrong, and what you're doing is now illegal under local government logic. Doesn't make any sense to me, and it doesn't make any sense to anybody else. Okay? Right now, there is a petition to the governor of California where we are trying to get these comedy clubs at least to where they can operate outside. Okay? A lot of these businesses, all of their revenue comes in through live entertainment, and these places are crumbling right now. So I'm going to leave the link below just so you guys can... You know, click on that and sign it if you want to. Trust me, the entire city of San Diego comedy, they will really greatly appreciate it because we want these clubs not just to open back up so that we can go, you know, practice our craft and get better, but we want these places to be open once the pandemic ends, okay? Like, if the comedy store closes for good... And then the pandemic's over. Where are we going to go do stand-up after that? It's these little places where we work on things so that when we come to a city and perform, 
we have good material. If we don't have anywhere to practice, you see what I'm saying? I don't mean to kind of end on a negative note, but please sign that petition. We, we need all the help we can get. With that being said, look, I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you guys sticking around this long if you've made it through this entire podcast. And I'll see you guys when I see you. Y'all take care.